Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. We've got an amazing power panel today. Get your questions ready. Send them over at any time, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. Oh, who's Matt? Who's Trevor, right? Mm-hmm. We should probably start with that. Matt is with Chosen People Ministries and also the lead pastor at a church that's just starting September 17th here in the Twin Cities called Grafted Community Church. Yep. Nice. Nice to have you here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks. Well, so we should have a like a applause uh, track. You we, know, we have we do. that, we, Brian? Do we have I'm it? not sure we do. Oh. Okay. There we go. There we go. Nice. Perfect. Nice. <laughs> nice. And Trevor, you've been on the show many times, so it's nice to have you back. Yeah. It's always good to be here, Bill. Yeah. Now, you two are both Messianic Jews. Do I say that right? Yeah. Sure, that works. So maybe the first question is, why don't the Jews and Gentiles get along? <laughs> I'd like an answer, and we won't. Jeff and I won't take it personally. <laughs> I, I think I get along with many Gentiles, <laughs> yourselves included. Oh, well, good. Well, that's, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> that's a complicated question. Oh, uh, just about the complexities yeah, of the relationship? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I think uh, uh, Gentile, meaning non-Jew, um, so that would mean every people group throughout all of history, except for the Jewish people. Um, most likely, I think, Bill, I think it's a spiritual issue. Um, what, what ends up happening is God has a continued plan and continued heart for the people of Israel. You'll notice that the new covenant in itself was actually originally intended for Israel. And uh, this is in Jeremiah chapter 31. And as you continue within the new covenant, one of the components to the new covenant is that Israel shall never cease to be a nation before God. And so it makes sense that the world hates what God loves. Something unique about Christians in world history is it's really the only people group uh, that really stems from all different nations and tribes and tongues um, that, uh, at least in recent history, has not been anti-Semitic but been philo-Semitic, meaning loving the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of been a recent phenomenon. But uh, really, Jewish people have been persecuted throughout history by different people groups, and uh, I think part of it is a spiritual thing, uh, really uh, opposing the will of God, which I guess we could go into more detail about at some point, but uh, you don't need (laughs) to go too deep. Okay. All right. So that you you talked about why the world has animosity towards the Jewish people. That's God's chosen people. And we look back through history, through the Old Testament, it seems like the world has been trying to destroy the Jewish line for a long time. I think that's part of Satan's MO. Sure. What about the other way? I had dinner with a Messianic Jew, Aaron, a good friend of mine. We just had this conversation about how many Jews have a distrust, especially for Christians, Mm. uh, kind of because of the idea of replacement theology. And some throughout history have believed that because God is done with Israel, which I don't think is a biblical idea, that and because of specific persecution by some churches of the Jewish people, there is animosity from the Jewish people back the other way to some Christians. You want to, do you want to take that, Matt? Well, I think I think some of it is theological, right? When you go down the road of kind of this replacement theology or that the Lord is done with the Jewish community, then you end up 
naturally with they don't have a place in God's plan. And if we're God's people, then why should we care about them? Right. That's kind of the natural overflow of that. I also think there's a historical component that that's a part of it. Like the Jew, there's no people that have been persecuted as much as the Jewish people over the longest period of time here. Right. We're talking about the most persecuted people in existence. And we read about it in scripture and we see it all through history, even since the scriptures were written. And, and, and there, you know, imagine being that persecuted people. And oftentimes that persecution is being done under this guise of some pseudo Christian esque thing, even if it's some distorted view of Christianity, mm-hmm. right? You're naturally going to have a distrust. You're, you're naturally going to have an aversion to all things that even smell like something that's Christian, right? And so when you come to a Jewish person with the gospel, the, the sense is, or like I would say the natural uh, response is that this is something for the nations. This is something for the Gentiles. This is not something that's for me, even though we read all through the scriptures that, as Trevor was saying, this is something that, that started as a Jewish movement. This is a Jewish movement that launched to the nations, and that's good, and that's right, and that's what the Lord said was going to happen. Like that's, that's the hope of the Hebrew Bible, that the nations would come and worship the God of Israel along with mm-hmm. Israel, right? But the, the reality is that has been way more complex historically as it's played out. As a Christian, I know that my Messiah is a Jewish carpenter, right? It's, uh, it's the fulfillment of right. the Old Testament. But, right. Yeah. Romans 11, 1, right? It says, I say, then has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Um, so, of course, we know that that's, uh, God still has plans for the people of Israel, as he does for all of the nations. Uh, to, let, let me bring this up really quickly, because there is um, there is anti-Semitic uh, uh, events that, that have uh, Christian leanings, um, and they kind of say that the people of Israel, that the Jewish people are trying to destroy our societies and take over the world. What's fascinating is this. If you read the Hebrew scriptures, both historically and prophetically, there's not a single mention ever of Israel oppressing the nations, Mm. but there are many mentions of the nations oppressing Israel. Mm. And so both prophetically and historically, it's not in the scriptures. So people are coming to this conclusion against the will and word of God. And it's clear from Scripture that God is not done with Israel. Romans 11 says that there's a day coming when all Israel will be saved. Uh, Jeremiah 31, there's a day coming when he will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Judah. And uh, God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would possess that land forever. Um, and today, God promises that those who bless Israel, they will be blessed, and, and uh, there'll be judgment on those who will try to divide the land of Israel, Joel says. So we should be praying for Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we should be blessing Israel as Christians. Oh. God bless your Gentile yeah. heart. <laughs> so yes, uh, I believe it. I believe it's true. Just, just theologically. If the word said otherwise, I would believe otherwise. But, uh, but my brother here, Jeff, and he is my brother, and this is also important to understand: is the one thing that can unite all people groups is Jesus, where we all have a mutual Father, and where we truly find our most important identity as to who we are in the Lord. Grafted into one tree, right? There you one, go. No, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a power panel today, unlike you've ever had. We've got uh, Jeff Ferdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. And if you have a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Here's the first question that came, that came in. Could the feeling of animosity possibly also be from when they were taking, retaking the Holy Land of Israel? Yeah, I mean, this is a complicated topic, right? When we start talking about Israel, I think the categories start 
weaving together between we have the political state of Israel, we have ethnic Israel, right? We have the Jewish people. Like these are these are all categories that start kind of getting into this tapestry. And I think I think it's we have to be very cautious around talking about the state of Israel politically mm-hmm. and then national Israel. And then as we're thinking about even Israel in the scriptures geographically, because even when we see uh, Israel in the promised land in the scriptures, depending on uh, kind of the, the stage of the scriptures that we're in, Israel has possession of different borders. Right. And so Israel even just like looks different geographically of what is the the full scope of that promised land that Israel has. So I, I do think when you get down into this topic and you start bringing up Israel at all, if you're into this conversation, the Israel-Palestine conversation, all of that stuff going on, I, I think that there can be some animosity around it. And I think we need to be cautious to be really firm in our categories of saying what we're talking about and who we're talking about and making those distinctions. Sounds good. And remember some of the lies of the world. I remember at the end of the Obama administration, the UN passed a resolution, and we could have vetoed it as a a permanent member of the UN Security Council. We did not, uh, and we should have, but the resolution was basically saying that Israel had no historical connection to the Temple Mount. And it's like, and I remember President Netanyahu said something to the effect of, to say that Israel had no connection to the Temple Mount is akin to saying that China had no connection to the Great Wall of China, right? Uh, you know, there's been a couple of temples there. The city of David is there, and there's an historical connection. Uh, but the world has denied that. And and you can go to maps, geographic maps produced by the world, and Israel does not show up in many of those maps today. Yeah, I think when you read the scriptures, if we're looking at the scriptures, at you know, regardless of what you think of inspiration, inerrancy, all of that stuff that I affirm, if you look at it as a historical document alone, you have to recognize that there's something special about that land and God's plan for his people. Mm-hmm. So you have to get into that. All right, we're going to take a little break. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. So glad to have everyone here around the table. We're looking for your questions. Again, 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. All right, we're getting ready to take your questions. 877-933-2484. Here's a great question that just came in. Rosella said, I heard that a recent survey showed a major increase in belief in Yeshua as the Messiah in Israel. Can Trevor and Matt talk about sharing Yeshua with Jewish people and the work in Israel? How can we support it and pray for it? Wonderful. Well, there happens to be a pretty good organization that I know about that uh, reaches <laughs> Jewish people all over the world it's called Chosen People Ministries, chosenpeople.com. It's where you get more information about what we do. So actually, uh, the, our organization is international. We're all over the world. We have, uh, I 
think it's close to 30 full-time employees in the land of Israel. Matt and I are the local reps here in Minnesota um, for this organization, and, and we're really blessed to work for them. Uh, they're based in New York City, but uh, work all over the world anywhere where there's a sizable Jewish population. So it's a major uh, study of mine, actually, as to you know what's happening amongst uh, the Jewish people and faith in Jesus around the world. Estimates in Israel today are that there are around 50,000, I think, is uh, some of the numbers that you see as far as Jewish people professing Jesus. It's fairly low, but still uh, much, much greater than it was, say, even 30, 40 years ago. And there's an openness that our missionaries are seeing that they've never seen before. But uh, But the real um, the massive work that we're seeing done amongst Jewish people coming to faith is actually done in diaspora. So places like here, like America. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. to give you an idea, and I think that maybe we even spoke about this last time I was here. Uh, I don't remember, Bill, but uh, Israel's population of Ju- the Jewish community, I think, is around 7 million. I think that America's Jewish population is around 7.5 million, something to that extent. And in Israel, where we see 50,000 Jewish people professing Jesus, in America, it's uh, it's getting close to a million. Um, so, uh, so it's actually a massive movement that we're seeing and, and, and I'm seeing it firsthand. You know, I think that uh, a lot of our missionaries around the world are to where there's just an openness that's never, uh, never been around before. Matt, you want to share a little bit about how to, uh, effectively maybe share with the uh, Jewish people? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, yeah. yeah, I think the first way to start out is by building a relationship with them, right? That's just ministry to any human being on the planet, right? You get to know them. And partially some of this comes into effect because within Judaism, there's such a broad range of, uh, uh, you might say, uh, observance, right? Just how how religious, if you're going to use those categories, someone might be, but also within the different sects. So if you have like Reformed or Orthodox or Conservative, there's a variety of, of beliefs that one might hold to within that, right? And so, our, you know, one of the examples that we've been citing scripture, depending on the Jewish person you're talking to, you might know scripture uh, more or less than they do, or they might have different views on Scripture than you do. And so just to start whipping out Bible verses uh, might not be the most effective way to navigate that from the start. So getting to know them, getting to know what they actually believe as an individual is a, is a really big deal. But I think at that point, once you can get it to the Scriptures, that they are valid, when we read the Scriptures, God says that that His Word won't return void, right? It'll accomplish that which He desires it to accomplish. And so I think as we're navigating this, we have to think through, okay, what are the Scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, right? That's that's what we're going to go to when we're talking to a Jewish person. What are the the, the Scriptures themselves that point to uh, the ministry of Jesus, the, the work of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus? And I think one of the, the things to really point point out is, is some of the history behind it. I know that I, I've navigated this even with some of my own family. Many Jewish people are surprised to know that the earliest controversy in the church, and we're reading Acts 15, is over not the issue of whether a Jewish person can be a follower of Jesus, but whether uh, you can be anything other than Jewish and follow Jesus, right? This is the Jerusalem council. And so sorting through that, this is a Jewish thing, that God loves the Jewish people, as we had been talking about, that that this is something that is for them as much as it's for anybody else, and he still cares about them and and the fullness of life that he has for them, that, that we see as grace poured out through the Hebrew Bible comes to fruition only in Jesus. Well. Well done, Matt Fry. Yeah, have you guys heard Isaiah 53 is so dramatic in its portrayal of Jesus and the crucifixion that he dies for the transgressions of the world? But I've heard in many Jewish communities it's almost a forbidden chapter. They don't turn to Isaiah 53. They'll skip over it if they're reading through the book of Isaiah, for example. Have you 
seen that? Or is, yes. are there portions of Scripture that they just say, oh, we're not going to touch that part because that's clearly a messianic passage? Yeah, that's, it's a little overplayed. Uh, so uh, so there's, there's some truth to the statement um, because uh, there is— uh, throughout the year, um, the people in synagogues will go through certain texts of the Hebrew Scriptures, and they go through the entirety of the Torah and certain portions of all of the other writings, right, of all the other books outside of the first five books of Moses. And uh, and so they do skip different sections during that cycle, and Isaiah 53 is one of the sections, but it's not exclusive. There are many sections that are bypassed, so it, it's hard to tell if that's necessarily intentional, although uh, people might give indication, but but Jeff, to your point, what a powerful section of scripture! It, it's a it's a very clear text that goes into the description of the Messiah, giving information about his appearance giving information about his ministry, giving information about how he's going to be rejected by many, how he's going to be persecuted, how he's going to die uh, with thieves buried in a rich man's tomb. I mean, truly describing all of the information that we see about Jesus in a prophetic scripture. The Jewish people teach, of course, that this is referring to the nation of Israel often is is the typical Jewish teaching. But historically, that wasn't true. Ancient yeah. writings, ancient Jewish writings like the Targum start off Isaiah 53 by saying, my servant, the Messiah. Uh, and this is an ancient Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures and also uh, ancient writings, for example, in the Babylonian Talmud in a section called Sanhedrin 98, it actually refers to Isaiah 53 as 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 having to do with the Messiah son of David. So mm-hmm. uh, so while that that's more of a belief system that has transitioned that this is Israel, um, that's uh, that's often what Jewish people are taught. Um, it's a little problematic because uh, Israel suffers for their own sin, not for the sins of others. Mm. So they see it as messianic, just not fulfilled in the person of Christ. Not necessarily messianic anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they, historically it was. Oh, today today it hasn't been. All right, Matt and Trevor, you've given some pretty good answers, and I don't think it was luck. (laughs) Honestly, I think it's not luck. Do you think, Jeff? No, it's it's study. It's study, yeah. It's called study. All right, here's my next question. Gentlemen, from a Messianic Jewish perspective, so Jeff, again, I'm sorry, you're going to cut out of this one. (laughs) Uh, What does it look like to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? We should let Jeff answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead and start. Uh, Well. You're not Messianic Jewish perspective, but. So in Scripture, it says that the early Christians began to meet on the first day of the week. It doesn't Mm -hmm. specifically say this, but I think it's because Christ rose on the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. And so in my theology, I'll be interested to hear you guys' takes. I think Christians are no longer under the law. Paul says a number of times that though I become like one under the law, I'm no longer under the law. He's not under the law. And so the law of the Old Testament, all the requirements, hundreds of requirements, I think we've been set free from that. And we are now under what Paul, I think, uh, calls the law of Christ, and that is to love God and to now walk in the Spirit. So I see uh, the Christian not under the requirement of the Sabbath. Hebrew specifically says that if you believe in Christ, we've entered the Sabbath rest of God as a picture of salvation. So I think Christians are free to worship uh, any day of the week and are no longer under the obligation of the Sabbath. 
So there's a real interesting component to the Sabbath. This is kind of a recent revelation because Matt made me speak at his service at Grafted a few weeks ago on the topic. But uh, something fascinating about it, it's not, it, the word Sabbath isn't mentioned until Exodus 16. And Exodus 16 is a section of Scripture to where the people of Israel have departed from Egypt and are entering into the Promised Land. And what's occurring at this point in time is that God is providing manna from heaven for them, and he provides enough for them for every day, and if it goes too long, it goes bad, except for the Sabbath. So on Friday, um, he gives them double portions so that on Saturday they have enough to be able to uh, to keep par- take care of themselves and eat for that following day. And this is the first mention ever that we see of the Sabbath. What's fascinating about this is it starts to give indication that Sabbath is all about you can't work for it, you have to trust in God's provision. And how fascinating that this day, right, this day that is really all about God is your provider. Even in the story of creation, God creates everything before man because he's providing for man everything that they're going to need. So it's it's really a grace through faith message, the Sabbath mm-hmm. is, but it's often unfortunately used for for a sense of legalism. Yeah, I think I think to... Build on what you're saying. I obviously agree with it. I had you speak it grafted on it. But I think one of the one of the things to look at is okay, what when we get into if we're gonna talk about the law, right? If we're gonna talk about the Torah, what what are the places where uh, Shabbat comes up and and why is Israel uh, implored and commanded uh, to observe it? And and there's two places, right? There's Exodus and there's Deuteronomy. And in those sections, God gives uh, two different reasons why they're supposed to observe it. One of them has to do with creation, right? That God is the creator and by extension, the, pattern. the, the, the provider, right? He, he is the one who brought all things into being in heaven and on earth. And, and they're supposed to stop because they're able to recognize that he's God and they're not, right? They're supposed to be able to rest in him. But when you get into Deuteronomy, what, what comes up is also the Exodus event, that the creator is also the one who provides salvation and redemption, and so building on this idea that it's not something that, that you can do, right? The creator is the one who's ultimately going to redeem you. And when we talk about this being fulfilled, if we find the fullest expression of that, we find this in, in Jesus, the Messiah himself. And Hebrews picks up on this idea, right? That the fullness of rest is found in him. So to say, practically speaking, if we're going to observe, if we're going to keep the Sabbath holy, uh, why not stop? And recognize that God is creator and you are not, that he is redeemer and you are not. I don't think the stipulation under the new covenant says we have to do this mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a Friday evening into Saturday evening. But I think it's still, there's some wisdom behind it to say we need to, to actually have that rest. It's good for us. Well done, Matt Fry. What a uh, interesting power panel today. Mm-hmm. I must admit, I'm loving this. If you have questions, send them over. I've got some great questions coming up. Again, 877-933-2484. If you uh, want to get the verse of the day, it's this really lovely, beautiful scripture graphic. We're going to send it right to your email inbox, and we're not going to bug you. We're just going to send you verse of the day. You're going to love getting it, and you can practice spending time in God's presence with that really lovely verse. So if you want to sign up to be part of that, Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up right now. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, lots more time for your questions. My panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. We've got all kinds of time for your questions. Send it over, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Do you guys have your own theme song? I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm just asking. I won't be singing it, that's for sure. <laughs> Welcome to Guy Talk, or guys who talk, send your questions over, 877-933-2484. I have Jeff, Trevor, and Matt ready to take your questions. All right, here's one, gentlemen. It always has been my understanding that once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we believe in him, that we will be accepted into heaven and our salvation is guaranteed. However, after hearing a sermon delivered on Matthew 7, 22 to 23, I have some questions. How do we know if the Lord knows us? so that we can be confident in this. I've always believed, but in the last year, I've been getting more involved in church. I read the Bible, and I'm learning and understanding more. I think most Christians try to do the will of the Father, but what exactly does that look like? I think this verse could cause a lot of anxiety in people. Maybe this is why less people are becoming involved in the church today. It's very Mm. confusing, and there's so many rules. Am I good enough? Do, Do I do enough? What allows me into heaven? You can't earn your way. And Mm -hmm. so this seems a little bit contradictory, or am I overthinking it? What was the guy's name that wrote that? Um, There's no name. Oh, man, that's such a good question. It is. And I think it's, I mean, really. I can answer two parts. Is he good enough? No. (laughs) (laughs) None of us are. That's kind of the whole gospel, but go ahead. No, that's that's good. I I think that he was Matthew 7, 21, that section, right? The, The I never knew you passage. And I, I think that he's probably not alone in feeling that not only am I good enough, but like when I get there, will I be rejected? Ooh. And I think when you look at that passage, here's what Jesus is communicating. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so what we see that it's not just about some verbal affirmation, but it is about there, there is some sort of response to Jesus. We do something in response to the love that we've been shown. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? But it's interesting now because he says the ones who do the will, but now he's talking about the ones that do the will, but don't actually know him, right? Not, it says, and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. When you're thinking about this idea of knowing, and this is throughout the scriptures, that is not just a not like a, an intellectual assent. This is the idea that God has intimacy with you and you with him. And so I think when we're looking at that passage, it's communicating that it's not only about just verbally affirming, it is about what you do, and it's not about what you do, it is about having intimacy and relationship with the Lord. So I think what Jesus is communicating is it's about a whole life transformation, a whole life given to him, and a life that is an overflow of being given mm-hmm. to him. And so it's not a, a situation where, am I good enough? Like Trevor said, certainly we're, we're not good enough. But what the scriptures also make clear is that if we have given our lives to Jesus, that in response to his love and by the power of his spirit, we will begin to, to reflect that love. We will begin to look more and more like him. It's not a perfect process. So for, you know, for the, the questioner, when he asks, if he finds himself stumbling or in drier seasons where he's bearing more or less fruit, or, or I guess less fruit in that case, that, ne- that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I don't belong to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It might mean this is the this, this season that I'm in, but I'm still called to be faithful. I look at this Matthew 7 passage, and you're right. This is a common thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to be 
one of these that Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And I would argue that if you go up just a few verses and go to look at verse 15, it says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in wolf's clothing. They are the one who are doing these things. And so this passage is about the false prophets. This is not about believers in Christ. The moment, and Trevor, as you said, you cannot be saved by anything you do. None of us can be good enough. The standard is perfection. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standard to get into heaven is true righteousness. And the only way you can become righteous is through faith in Christ. And God imputes his righteousness on you. You become the righteousness of God the moment you believe. And now you've been qualified to enter into heaven The next part of the question is, and nothing can change that. As a born-again believer, Scripture tells us that we can have true assurance of salvation. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you for how long? Oh, forever. You cannot lose God's Holy Spirit. So the moment you're saved and believe you receive his Spirit, he's with you forever. Ephesians 1 says that having believed, you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit— I'm sorry, with the Holy Spirit— as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Peter basically says the same thing, that your inheritance is kept in heaven where it cannot spoil or fade, shielded by God's power in that day until that day. And John, 1 John 5 says, I write these things to you who believe that you can know that you have eternal life. So we can know that we know that we know that we're saved because it's by faith in him and he holds us in his hand and nothing can take us out of his hand. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. And Bill, that was so, that was so good. And I think pastorally speaking, you know, this idea of like questioning our salvation or whether we're good enough, like these are common things mm-hmm. that, that like even the most mature Christians like even have moments of doubt. Like that's a normal thing in following Jesus. And I, I think as I think about the, the person asking the question, he needs to know, number one, he's not alone in, in that. But number two, the very fact that you care about whether you have relationship with Jesus is a sign that Jesus is working in you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, when you see in the scriptures, uh, when, when God uh, judges people, when he, uh, when, he, when he gives them over, that's the language it uses. He gives them over to their sin. There's a hardness or a blindness that results, not this, this intimate caring about whether I actually have a relationship with the Lord. Good All right, point. well done. Well done. Let me know what your question is for the panel, 877-933-2484. Next question, gentlemen, God is a loving giver, and it seems that we as his children should be as well. Abraham and Jacob demonstrated the tithe. I would love to hear a discussion on tithing. Yeah, good good topic. It's a kind of a funny one. Uh, often people that uh, that play down um, the uh, Mosaic Covenant uh seem to adhere to this one if they're running a church. <laughs> that, uh, this one can They're okay with this one, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um but uh but really uh the the premise uh, the premise that's given uh, within the Torah has to do with sustainability specifically for a people group that are designated to serve God. Um and that's that's kind of what was happening with partially at least within the within the Mosaic covenant because the uh, uh the there's a uh, multiple tribes Right as Aaron is coming, uh, is, excuse me, as as uh, the Levites are coming into the land with all of the other tribes, and uh, they don't have another job or source of income apart from the tithe of the people. So actually, it's almost ten percent of the population, and so ten percent of the income is partially going to sustain them and to take care of the expenses for all of the uh, religious. Um, 
uh, necessities for them to practice in the way in which they were instructed. So, so really the idea of a tithe is really sustaining those who are serving God. Um, that that's kind of at least the the origin of it is uh, is is working towards those things or doing to going towards the work of God within a community whether they're helping the widows and the orphans and things mm-hmm. of that nature so mm-hmm. um, so it's a it's an important concept clearly and you can see how very clearly how that would work within our context today um, while we don't have uh, the the specific tribes out of Israel we still have people who within their positions are trying to serve others to help them to grow in their walk with the Lord and to help support people showing the love of Jesus through different types of things. So it's a very beneficial practice. Um, there's, there's, uh, of course, as, as Jeff was saying, um, regarding giving, um, and it, maybe this was during a break, I don't remember, Jeff, but, uh, but that the Lord's heart for giving is that we give more, um, mm-hmm. not less. And, uh, and so while uh, while I, I don't I don't necessarily see it as an identical thing today, and that we don't have the tribes the way that they they are certainly, um, but uh, but still there is a need for these things in order to pour into the community of God and to serve them in the way in which they were instructed. Hmm. Well done. When Jesus fed the five thousand, and there were twelve baskets left over, is there any symbolism to the twelve baskets? Twelve tribes. Yeah. A lot, a, sh- a lot of shoulder shrugging, which is fine. <laughs> Twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. All right. Yeah, yeah I just, I'll just go curious. with that. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Acts 16, verse uh, 31, where uh, Paul and the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That doesn't automatically mean, automatically mean that everyone in that household would be saved, right? Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that in the ancient world, there is a uh, there's an authority structure that doesn't always exist today. I think today when we think about households, uh, there's oftentimes a little bit more of a rebellious streak of autonomy within the households that each person kind of comes to their own conclusions and their own belief systems. But when we're thinking in the ancient world, when the head of the household says, this is what we believe, mm-hmm. the rest of the household says, yes, sir. Okay. Right? And so when we're, when we're processing that, that, this is why when, when Paul is writing in the Corinthian letters, right? When he's, when he's navigating like the, the instance uh, where a, a woman comes to faith, right, in Jesus and the husband is not a believer in Jesus, like that is a, that's a big deal. Like that's a, that's a controversial thing that, that wouldn't be normal, right? That, that wouldn't be normative. So my understanding of that uh, is that it's not saying, yes, the whole household is by default saved, like it's right. under the salvation of the husband. Uh, it's the assumption that if the head of the household is going to believe this, that the rest of the household is going to, at least most of them, fall in line. Yeah, I think in, in Acts 10, when Peter goes to Cornelius's house, it's one of the first Gentiles to believe and be saved that we see. And, and we see that the Holy Spirit, while Peter was speaking and proclaiming the gospel, I would add that Christ died and rose again, and that if you have faith in him, uh, you will be saved. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon all of those who believe. So that household yeah. is described as believing, but it's clear, at least from that instance, that the Holy Spirit came upon all those who who believe that's the criteria yep. for salvation not that you belonged to a specific household where the where the father believed uh, and as you said but oftentimes everybody in that household did right. according to the head of that household so right if that was true right if it was according to the household then this would kind of negate what John the Baptist says to to the religious leaders where he says don't say that we are children of Abraham for the Lord is able to make uh, children of Abraham out of these stones right that would that it's not about some ethnic background or some association right, right? it is about belief and faith and yeah. there's so many places in the New Testament where the call 
for salvation is an individual thing. Whosoever believes will yes. be saved. Jesus clearly says that he will uh, that his message will separate families, actually, and so that context isn't mm. there. Well, we all wish that this was an absolute truth for every household in in uh, in all of the world. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to pan out in every instance in that manner. So when they spoke to the household that night, anyone who is of sufficient age to exercise faith in Christ got saved. Yeah. Wonderful, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I wish that happened in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would have been wonderful. Yeah. All right. We'll take a break. We come back. Lots of guy talk or guys who talk. Send the questions over 877-933-2484. My power panel is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. So let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Matt, I'm going to need to get your your story a little bit at some point in the show. It doesn't have to be now. Maybe sure. it's an hour or two, but Great. everyone's wondering, who's this Matt Fry guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, whenever. Yeah, so as you grew up in a Jewish home? Yeah, so I'm technically uh, half Jewish. Okay. So my mom is Jewish. Okay. Uh, it comes from kind of Russian, Polish, European Jews. Uh, my dad is a Gentile. Okay. Uh, and so my uh, my sister and I, we uh, were raised in kind of a nominal uh, conservative-esque Jewish house. And so uh, we, you know, Fridays, Saturdays, uh, bar and bat mitzvah, her and I, all, all the fun Hebrew school sure. growing up in that. Um, but yeah, I grew up uh, in Florida. And uh, yeah, I came to faith when I was in college. And so I came up here uh, to go to the University of Minnesota. And the Lord uh, rocked me. He, he rocked me and I, yeah. I can share more about that later, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was, it was quite a journey and my dad was actually a believer before I was, which okay. was, yeah, which when, was fun. And when you came to Minnesota, you were competing yeah. at the university of Minnesota at a very high level in gymnastics. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So I was a gymnast growing up mm-hmm. and I got recruited to come up here to nice. the U. Um, yeah. Most of the men's gymnastics schools, uh, are in the, the big 10, yeah. which is not many, just broadly speaking across the country. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I got recruited to come up here uh, and it was, uh, an awesome experience, but I, I, I came up here intending to be a doctor. So I, my degrees in biology, society and environments, my undergrad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Lord went to town on me and in a lot of ways I was kind of confronted with myself, right. my, my foolishness and the consequences of my decisions and, um, all of that fun. And, and because my dad was a believer first, I had been in a church, like some Jewish people have never heard the gospel or encountered, uh, Christianity with any semblance of authenticity. Um, but that wasn't me. Like I'd been in a church and I, I'd experienced some of that. Uh, and the Lord really kind of went to task and, and drew me to himself and convicted me of my sin to the point where it was like, okay, that that Messiah, uh, the one who provides forgiveness and eternal life and and change is, mm. is the one that I need. And uh, so it was about halfway through college. Um, I, I gave my life to Jesus yeah. and he pretty radically uh, started working on me. It was kind of a, those next probably five, six years were a, a crucible for me yeah. and gave me a passion for him. And there was a campus pastor there who took me under his wing. And that was my next question. Me. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, was person, a person, place or an or event that got yeah. your attention. 
You know, that's a good question. Um, some people have asked that, right? Was there was there a campus ministry or was there something that, that – I, I would say no. I don't think it was one thing. I, I think there was probably more than one circumstance or, or influence there. Um, I think it was primarily the Lord's conviction. I, I feel like I'm still kind of like that today, just kind of sensitive in conscience. And so I – felt pretty guilty over stuff. And, uh, and, and so after I'd come to faith though, there was a, a guy, uh, that worked with Chi Alpha campus ministries and mm-hmm. he took me under and we prayed together and we, uh, he taught me uh, how to read scripture well and really invested in me and gave me a passion for his word. And before you knew it, I got to the, uh, I got to senior senior night of, of senior year at the mm-hmm. U for, for gymnastics and we're going down the line and people are sharing what they were going to do with their life. And, you know, this person's got whatever, an internship or this residency or job lined up. And, and uh, I had the guy announce that uh, I was going to plant a church. And wow. so uh, got done there and went on to Bethel Seminary, which was, uh, which was fun and a, a great formative experience that the Lord used. And then uh, uh, through that, uh, I, I met my wife. We met online. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, uh, we were engaged by my last year of, of seminary wow. there. And then we, yeah, we went on to, to ministry after that. All right, let's revisit that phone call to mom. I'll be your mom. Hello. Hey, son, how are you? You're going to tell me that you became a born-again Christian. <laughs> yeah, from, from, from being a doctor. Right. <laughs> How'd that go down? Well, it was not only a pay cut, but a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a change for sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, my family, broadly speaking, even, you know, my Jewish side is very gracious and nice. uh, they're very open. Um, and, and so, you know, this is actually the case when it comes to uh, just Jewish people broadly. Oftentimes, there's really an openness to belief systems. The challenge is, is when Jesus gets brought in. He's kind of uniquely the stumbling block. And I know mm-hmm. this is something that we see in Scripture. Uh, but there, but there's a sense here uh, where, yeah, I told my mom I was going to go to seminary. And I think that they had started to witness some of that change in my life because she had wanted me to change as well. Like she had been watching me make stupid decisions. And, and so she started to see me change. And I remember... It was down the road, uh, and she. It was after I had gone to seminary, and what she told me was this: uh, she said, uh, "Matt, when when you were uh, taking an interest in God, when you were walking with God, uh, things went better in your life. I watched things go better in wow. your life, and so when you told me that you were going to seminary, uh, I wasn't shocked. And so we, I'm paraphrasing, but it's along those lines. And uh, since then, I've had the privilege of watching my sister come to faith, and my mom come to faith, wow. and my cousin come to faith, and it's awesome. been. Uh, it's been fun. It's been really cool to just see um, the Lord do what I certainly couldn't do myself. Mm-hmm. We just baptized him recently. We did. It was yeah. like, yeah, what was it, a month or two ago? Yeah. We just baptized my parents. Oh, so, my. How yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, Trevor, you've not had quite as many family members come to faith, have you? It's actually, it's decent. So, okay. it, I guess it depends on how extended Matt's yeah. taken there. But uh, it's about 25% of, of people in my generation and younger. Okay. So, that includes a lot of cousins and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but of the older generation, nobody. Uh, I'm I'm also a little bit older than Matt, so so his his parents are my generation. <laughs> so, so he's kind of he maybe he's experienced in his family actually similar to what I've seen, where it's where it's my generation and younger are somewhat open, and the older generations less so, unless they were part of the Jesus People movement, really. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a question, gentlemen. Uh, calling a church grafted, what, what would you say we're grafted into? Is it the Abrahamic promise, <laughs> or are we part of the people descended from Jacob? That's a good question. Trevor and I have this conversation frequently because I think that is a question that a lot of people ask. And 
Uh, I think when you get to Romans 11, where this grafted language comes up, where the olive tree comes up, and you look at the scriptures themselves, when you look at the extra biblical Jewish literature, it's very clear that this tree is a picture of the family of God, but it is not a picture of just Israel, right? Because it's talking about Jewish people, Israelites being cut out and some being grafted back in through faith in Jesus. And so if the tree's Israel, then it seems strange that Israel's getting cut off from Israel, right? It's a bit redundant. What I think you're getting at is you have these covenant promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that find their fulfillment in Jesus. And it is through him that you inherit the promises that you're brought into the family of God. And that exists for both Israelites for, for, and, and now the Jewish people, uh, and for, uh, Gentiles, for the nations, all who would trust in Jesus. And so both can be cut off and both can be grafted in, but they're only brought into that family to those promises, uh, through Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, it says in Romans 11 that Israel, who is part of God's family, is the chosen people, though, but in unbelief they have been cut off. But even in their unbelief, they can Israel can be grafted in, any Jew can be grafted yes. in again if they would believe and be saved and therefore be grafted back into, the, as you described it, the family of God. Amen. I think Romans is clear that both Jew and Gentile alike are under sin, that both Jew and Gentile alike need to believe and be saved, and yeah. whosoever, Jew or Gentile, if they believe, they will be saved. They will be grafted back yeah. into and that tree. That's the beauty of the grafted illustration, right? That there, it kind of embodies what we see going on, number one in Ephesians 2, where the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile is brought down, that they're reconciled not only to Jesus, but to one another through what Jesus has done. But, but also what you see in Galatians 3, where the, it says that, you know, no longer uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. It's not saying that none of those distinctions would continue to exist, but relationally speaking, they need not exist when it comes to conflict. And so I, I think that's why, that's why we call the church grafted, because mm-hmm. we believe that it's a place. Actually, our, our mission statement is cultivating a family of Jews and Gentiles in Messiah Jesus, because we believe it's, it's them coming together. Cool. Really nice. All right. This is probably a ministry question. Uh, Could you explain the core difference between chosen people and international fellowship of Christians Christians and Jews? Yeah, I can tell you the the, the core difference. The core difference is international fellowship of Christians and Jews opposes Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. Really? Uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, So so it's a Jewish organization, um, not a Christian organization. It's a Jewish organization uh, that uh, that they, they do charitable work. For, uh, for Jewish people, and they recognize that Christians love Jewish people, and so they take donations and they do wonderful things with it. They really do. I mean, they do wonderful things helping people in need. This, this, uh, this is very important for them. Um, but, uh, but also being a Jewish organization, um, they do not believe that Jewish people should come to faith in Jesus. Um, Chosen People Ministries, we do a lot of charitable uh, charitable work. Not nearly as much, actually, uh, but we do quite a bit of charitable work. But they're a massive organization. I, I don't know. Their, their giving is billions. I mean, so it's a massive organization. Mm. Um, it, but uh, Chosen People does uh, does that. But they, they see that the more important uh, issue amongst people is not uh, is not their physical needs, but their spiritual ones, and so why they they do uh, do things to help people uh, regarding regarding uh, physical needs. Their their primary focus is helping people to have eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah Jesus, and kind of coming to understand Him as the Lord and Savior. Um, but yeah, that's that's the primary distinction between the organization. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that one coming. Did you, Jeff? I I don't 
I'm a little familiar with that ministry, but if it's made up of kind of more Orthodox Jewish people, traditional religious people, the way I understand it, many of the Orthodox traditional Jewish people want to prohibit any kind of proselytization of the Jewish people by Christians. In fact, I think it's illegal for a foreigner to preach the gospel to you know or no, they no, I know no. they're trying to make it no that, yeah people have tried but that that's always voted down there's freedom right. of religion in Israel you just don't share with people who are underage if you're an adult and you don't bribe people to come to faith but I, but I get it right Jeff so so if I uh, I'm I'm a follower of of Yeshua of Jesus right and, and I want people to believe in him I don't want people to start believing in some other religious system and that's that's their perspective I don't blame them for that that's right. just the perspective from the organization all right, nicely done. Lots of great questions coming in. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. When you feel close to God, I know it it impacts every aspect of your life, but sometimes you know it's hard to feel God's presence. And if you want to get closer to him, you can start with an encouragement from our own Susie Larson. You probably heard her before this show started at Susie Larson Live. Text the word CLOSER to 877-933-2484. You can hear right from Susie when you text the word CLOSER. Again, 877-933-2484. We say that number a lot around here. If you've got a question, send it over. Same number, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. So nice to have them here. We'll be right back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.